Hi, skimmers. Thanks for tuning in to Kid Q&A, where we're digging into your biggest questions about parenting and your kids' health. I'm Jana, a senior manager at The Skim, and also mom to Lou, who is two years old. We saved the best for last. Today, we're talking about sleep. Because in case you haven't heard, parents don't always get a lot of it. Believe me when I say I speak from experience. We're joined by Dr. Judith Owens, director of the Center for Pediatric Sleep Disorders at Boston Children's Hospital, who has much-needed answers for us. Let's talk sleep. So one of the first things expecting parents tend to hear is, you'll never sleep again. I definitely was told this by many people when I was pregnant. But what is actually a normal range for when parents can expect a new baby to start sleeping through the night? Well, we start talking about that process at around the third month. That's when sleep regulation and circadian rhythms have started to develop, and you can actually start to assist babies into falling asleep on their own. And that's when we talk about the drowsy but awake, putting them to to sleep. Every parent's least favorite words, I'm sure. At least I found that to be really difficult when I was starting to try to do it. But in that vein, there's lots of talk about about sleep training, especially on social media, lots of debates about sleep training. And it did work for me. But wondering what you can tell us about your stance on it, if you recommend it to parents. It basically involves teaching an infant to fall asleep independently. In other words, without a caregiver's presence. And the reason that that's important is because of what we call sleep onset associations, which means that whatever the infant becomes used to or dependent upon to fall asleep at the beginning of the night, they're going to need to have those same conditions present to fall back to sleep. And an important piece of that is understanding that it's perfectly normal for an infant to wake up five, six times during the night. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, a lot of new parents have this expectation that sleeping through the night means not waking up at all. And, right. and that's not true because at the end of each sleep cycle, the baby wakes up. Now, if the baby has become dependent on the parent or caregiver to help him or her fall asleep at the beginning of the night, they're going to need those same conditions to fall back to sleep. Yeah. Do you find that kids who go through that process are then better sleepers for the rest of their childhood? Or I guess I'm trying to ask if you, re- if you recommend it or if you think it doesn't really matter. I do recommend it, but I'm not insistent on it. I also understand that some families opt to have a family bed. Now, with the caveat that you should not bed share with an infant, really ideally less than a year of age because of the safety concerns. But I do see kids in my practice who are seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 years old who've still not learned how to fall asleep independently and are still wandering into their parents' bedroom in the middle of the night. So it doesn't necessarily fix itself But I think, honestly, the vast majority of kids eventually learn that skill on their own. The flip side of that, though, is that 
there have now been at least a couple of very well done studies which have looked at the impact of sleep training or controlled crying, the check-in method, whatever you want to call it, the impact on children five years later, looking at things like attachment and emotional development and stress levels and cognitive development and everything you can think of and really have found no long-term negative repercussions. So I think that's an important message for families to understand as well. Yes, I think that's so important. I think it's easy to get caught up in, you know, oh, they're they're crying for me. They need me. I have to go get them. Um, when really it's better to think of it as teaching a skill that's like a lifelong skill that your baby will have to be able to sleep better. So thank you for that answer. What else do you recommend to help babies sleep better? Is there other methods or other tactics families can try? Well, absolutely. Having a consistent bedtime and wake time is important, especially after the first year of life. Having a regular nap time and having a bedtime routine, activities that are calming, soothing, pleasant, interactive between caregivers and babies. Those kinds of things are also very important, as well as having a quiet and dark sleeping environment for the baby. What do you think about sound machines? I really like them, honestly. I'm a big proponent. They don't certainly solve every problem, but I think it's a good way for parents to feel like they're doing something. (laughs) (laughs) Unlikely to have any kind of negative associations with it. Okay, that's great to hear. We love our sound machine in my house. And what do we know about how the quality and amount of sleep that kids end up getting as babies affects them as they grow up? Because of this large amount of variability in sleep amounts, and interestingly enough, that also varies across cultures quite dramatically, I place less emphasis on how much sleep a child is getting or the quality of their sleep in that first year. But really, I think what becomes more important is from a year on, that really tends to set the stage for certain sleep habits, for the way that parents respond to sleep problems, and becomes more and more impactful, if you will. Particularly as they get into the toddler and preschool age range, you start to see more daytime consequences of insufficient or poor quality sleep. Interesting. And that actually brings me to my next question, which is about naps. When should kids really stop napping? My son is, he'll be two in a week. And actually, right before I got on this call, I was down in his room trying to get him to go down for his nap, which he usually goes down for happily, but today seems like no. And I'm, you know, Googling it, and it seems like there's a big range of when it's supposed to stop. And so I'm wondering, is that coming soon? Do I have more time? (laughs) When does that usually happen? It really is astonishingly variable, I have to say. And that's why I tend to talk to parents about how much sleep their child is getting in 24 hours, rather than necessarily focusing so much on daytime versus nighttime sleep. Having said that, most babies will give up their second nap between 12 and 18 months of age. But in terms of giving up napping altogether, I encourage 
parents, especially of two and even three-year-olds, to still give them a nap opportunity. And whether or not they actually fall asleep, at least they have that option. I do find, whether it's peer pressure or whatever, that kids in daycare will often nap when everybody else is napping, but they may not do that at home. That's a fairly common pattern. So since sleep is such a you know huge hot topic, big concern for parents, it can be hard, I think, for parents to know if something is really out of the ordinary or if it's just run-of-the-mill extremely hard. So what signs can parents look out for that something is a bigger issue that needs that needs treatment? Well, I would say one of the most important things is to pay attention as to whether your child is snoring, because snoring is not normal. And it's a sign that there's some sort of blockage or obstruction, whether that's enlarged tonsils or some other anatomical feature, especially if it's loud, frequent snoring, parents really need to bring that to the attention of their pediatrician. Again, the daytime behavior, if a child really seems irritable chronically and has a lot of mood changes and behavioral regulation issues, it may not be related to sleep, but that's certainly one of the things that we oftentimes think of, and that can be a real red flag. And is it ever safe to give kids melatonin as a sleep aid? And what do we know about possible long-term effects? I think I know what you're going to say, but I would love to hear your your expert opinion on this. Under age two, I would say there's virtually no situations where melatonin is appropriate because the vast majority of sleep concerns are related to behavior. And Mm -hmm. just like any sleep medication, it's a Band-Aid. And if you don't do the underlying behavioral interventions, if you stop the medication, be that melatonin or something else, the problem is still going to be there. I also really worry about the message that it gives kids, especially as they get a little older, that you need a medicine to help you fall asleep. There are situations in which I do recommend melatonin, but I think it's become a panacea. I really hear primary care physicians recommending melatonin so much more frequently now than I did even five years ago. And there was a recent CDC report that showed that the accidental ingestion of melatonin, particularly by young kids, has gone up astronomically in the last 10 years to the point where, you know, some of these children needed to be hospitalized. So use with caution, only coupled with behavioral interventions for as short a time as possible. And I recommend that families use what's called pharmaceutical grade melatonin if they're going to use it. Because the United States is one of the few countries in the world that has melatonin available over the counter. In most countries, it's available only by prescription. So the quality and consistency of these over-the-counter preparations is not good. And you may not be giving the amount of melatonin that it says on the bottle. There are also products now like nighttime cough preparations that also contain melatonin. So look at the back of the label and see what the ingredients really are before you think about giving it to your child.
So last question is more for the parents. Uh, it can be really tough, as I'm sure you, you know and have heard from many parents, uh, to manage parenting when your child isn't sleeping well and when you're not getting enough sleep. So what do you tell parents who are struggling with their own mental health and how it's affected by their kids' lack of sleep? I think that's an important point, that not only do you want your child to get consistent, sufficient, good quality sleep, but as a parent, you also need that. You are frustration tolerance and your mood and even your cognitive abilities. There was a study that actually showed that new moms are more likely to get into car accidents because they're not sleeping all night. <laughs> you're not being a bad person. You're not being a mean parent to try to get your child and you a good night's sleep. That is wonderful to hear. An excellent note to end on. Good sleep for all. That's my motto. Thank you so much, Dr. Owens. This has been so helpful and I think will be really wonderful for our, our listeners. Absolutely. Happy sleeping. Sweet dreams. Thanks for listening to Kid Q&A. We hope all three of these conversations brought you some answers, some confidence, and some peace of mind. I know they did for me. We've also got a ton of great articles and other information just for parents on our website, theskim.com. So go check it out. This episode was skimmed by me, Jana Pollock, along with producer Alicia Key and the Skim's head of audio, Graylin Brashear. Our senior audio engineer is Andrew Calloway, and he mixed this episode with Ellie McAfee-Hahn and Ko Tagasugi Chernobyl. 